Hi there, and welcome to How To with Ann Malum. When deciding to do this podcast, I really wanted to create something that could give people real tools on how to execute on certain things. So often we talk about things on such a macro scale that yes, leaves people inspired, but with no real idea on what the steps are to make something in their own life happen. I challenge and encourage and probe my amazing guests to get granular and specific on their strategies, their mindset, their tactics, and their methodologies so that you can learn practical, actionable steps to best optimize your confidence, career, health, and wealth. What's going on, everybody? I am Ann Malum, and welcome to the podcast. I have one goal here, and it is to help you achieve ultimate optimization in your career, your health, and your wealth. As you know, every guest I bring on has a proven track record of success in these areas, and we're going to share specific actionable items that you can use to optimize your own life. Today, I'm thrilled to have Jason Lee with us. He's a highly recognized real estate broker in the multifamily real estate industry. He has worked with several eight to 10 figure real estate investors in the San Diego County area, helping them acquire, dispose, and 1031 exchange, don't worry, we'll tell you what that is, in order to improve their portfolio. In the last couple of years, Jason has represented over 100 investors and closed over $250 million worth of real estate in San Diego County. And he currently owns and operates a $40 million portfolio comprising of 85 units in San Diego County. Most important part of his bio for me and for you is Jason teaches people how to break out of the stagnation of their nine to five and rebuild a career path that points them in the direction of their greatest ambitions all while mastering the tools to grow your wealth with less hands-on effort. I mean, who doesn't want that? Welcome to the podcast, Jason. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Ann. It's a pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much for taking time to be here. So let's just start off and and tell everybody a little bit about you and and a little history and how you got to be uh, in the place you are now in your life. Yeah, um, you know, honestly... For anyone who's listening to the podcast, um, I think I'm a very average guy who just had a really, really good mentorship and really put a lot of action into what I learned. Um, come from a you know lower middle class family. Dad was a security guard. Mom was uh, jumping around jobs, had a failed business, and then ended up cleaning um, houses for for a living to help me uh, to help put me through college. Um, went to San Diego State University. I'm from the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, when I went to college, I had a dream of becoming a doctor. And that dream actually wasn't mine. It was my parents' dream and um, my extended family's dream. And three years in, I realized I would hate my life if I went down um, the medical route. So basically, I had a you know quarter-life crisis and went through you know every single club on campus, met every single person I could. Um, and I realized that everyone in my fraternity and everyone that I knew that had really wealthy parents all either were in real estate or owned real estate. So, um, I thought there was something there and I ended up, you know, joining the real estate society on campus, um, ended up meeting, uh, my old mentor broker, my old company, who's a multifamily broker here in San Diego. And, um, after learning from him, I kind of, you know, just worked every single day and ended up getting to where I am now, uh, fast forward four years later. Yeah, we actually have a lot in common. It sounds like with our, with our upbringing, I also came from sort of lower, uh, middle-class and went to a state school. It's all frankly, my, my family could afford. And 
my grades were decent, but not decent enough to get sort of, uh, you know, a full ride in a prestigious um, private university. So I also went to a state school um, and I'm from North Dakota. And most most folks that I met back in North Dakota are still in North Dakota. You sort of look at an environment and you're like, okay, these are my, these are my options. And that's the first things first, right, is the curiosity of what if there's more out there? So did that, was that, did that something that ran in your family? Do you have siblings or where do you think that curiosity came from for you? Yeah, um, I have one younger sibling, so I kind of, um, and I'm five years older than him, so I kind of carved the path and he's still kind of wondering what, what he wants to do. But I think that curiosity um, really came from, honestly, just not being happy with my current life, my current situation. Um, I just think my mind wasn't opened up to all the potential possibilities out there when I was younger. And, um, I had no idea, um, you know, how lucrative or how fun business could be. And I was never like, you know, immersed in that space. Cause I never was like taught it growing up or anything. So mm-hmm. when I went to college and left home and like, I had to like figure out things myself, like I've always been a really curious person. So I was kind of just seeing, you know, how life really worked on my own and just ended up um, asking the right questions and falling into real estate. And how far, how far away from college did you, or how far away from home did you go from college? Yeah, so it's like a nine-hour drive, one-and-a-half-hour flight, so not too far, but... But far enough where you, like, can't, you know, come home every Tuesday night and, and rely, you had to really find some independence there. Exactly, yeah, and no, I only went home, like, you know, twice a year or something like that. Yeah, summer and then winter, yeah. Yeah. How formative do you feel like that was for you, Jason, for, again, folks listening? And in my perspective, it doesn't matter how old you are. Seeking that independence and putting yourself in a new environment forces your brain to think differently. No, I I couldn't agree more. Um, I think the reason why a lot of people get stuck or feel stuck in life is because they've only been living in their little bubble of their hometown their entire life. And um, I hate to say it, but a lot of people that did like stick around my hometown, like they really are still in that bubble, not really doing anything significant. So, um, yeah, I think when you change your environment and you you put yourself in an uncomfortable situation, your brain thinks differently. You grow more than you ever thought you could. And um, I think it's one of the biggest keys of my success was leaving home. I think if I stayed in my my city. I think I'd be nowhere close to where I am today. Yeah, I want to stay on that for a second because I think it's really important. And again, we talk about actionable steps that people can be doing. And I know it's I know it's scary, but I I've moved a lot. Like I've not only moved it within cities, but moved to different cities. I've lived in Minnesota, from Philly to DC to New York to back to DC, different neighborhoods. And I think forcing yourself to move into new environments is I'm trying to think of anybody that I know that is really successful and happy and that I admire that's constantly pushing into growth that has lived in the same spot where they were born. And I I can't think of somebody off the top of my head. And it's, again, just goes to show putting yourself and saying, I'm going to move, I'm going to try go living. And it can be in my mind, like the same, obviously the same country, but go put yourself someplace else for a year, force yourself to make new friends force yourself to develop new hobbies that are part of those surroundings and exposing yourself to different things because that's where you're going to discover, you know, where you gravitate to what you like and you don't like. And when you stay in the same place all the time, 
your brain doesn't have to think about that because there are no options. It's like, this is what's in front of me. Um, I don't think people actually talk enough about that. Yeah, I think with, um, you know, the growth of remote remote work too, it's never been easier. Um, I know a lot of people, I live in San Diego. I know a lot of people that I've met that, um, you know, had a great job in SF or LA or, you know, New York, Chicago, but um, they're fully remote and they wanted to move somewhere else. And, you know, they're super happy where they are. And I know people that have moved here um, with those remote work jobs and have actually started their own business and kind of switched their careers and pivoted and are much happier now. So um, you never know what could happen from, you know, just moving because you want to live in a different city and you, now you can because you're fully remote. Um, so yeah, a lot of possibilities. Yeah, it also forces you to make new new friends and new community, all of those things. And that brings out just different, different types of skill sets uh, that you might not have been harnessing or practicing. And when we don't use certain parts of our, again, our brain, our, our energy, our talents, we we lose those things. They're like muscles, like anything else, and they need to be worked out. Exactly. So talk to us, uh, you know, in the beginning, you know, you said you got kind of educated as people who might be listening. I know a lot of my, you know, friends, contacts, whatever, they're talking about money a lot. And, you know, they're sort of like, how am I going to get enough money to, to start investing? They think they need to have a million dollars. It's like this cycle, right? This sort of catch, well, I, I don't have a million dollars, therefore I can't invest how am I going to get a million dollars? And if I don't have that, I'm never going to be able to invest. So for somebody who also, you look pretty young to me, how old are you? So everybody knows that. Yeah, I'm 25. Yeah. So you're 25. So again, I think that that's also incredible. Um, so let's talk about that for folks who are sort of just learning about, about money, maybe, you know, might be in college or might be in their twenties and thirties and just kind of haven't figured that out because no one teaches us, where would you, where would you push somebody to, to start and start learning, um, about real estate? Yeah, I think it's a fantastic question. Um, I think that's like one of the biggest myths of real estate is that you have to have a huge chunk of cash to get started. Um, but real estate requires three elements to be successful. It's knowledge. You got to have hustle to find deals and you got to have, you know, the capital, the money. And the cool thing is, is you don't need to have all three of those. Um, if you're someone looking into real estate, if you have at least two, you'll be fine. If you have knowledge and hustle, you can always find the money. If you have the money, you can always find someone who's hustling and that can, you know, um, spend time to find good deals and manage properties. If you have the money, you don't have to spend much time on it. But when you're young and when you have time, um, you have to have the knowledge. So you have to learn the knowledge from someone who's, you know, taken the journey, um, someone like myself or anyone in your city who you see is doing well in real estate, whether it's investing as a broker, as a professional, whatever it is. Um, you have to learn from people who have been doing it much longer than you. Um, and then you have to have the hustle. You have to have, um, the time and the energy to find properties, to learn the business to meet new people, uh, because the real estate business it's, you know, yeah, it is selling real estate, but, um, in reality, it's much more a relationship, uh, people business. So you have to learn how to deal with people. Uh, you have to learn how to, you know, sell yourself, how to connect. Um, cause usually when you're selling something, you're selling a product. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're selling, you know, like a, a property, right. But when someone goes to hire you to sell their house or they want to sell their property to you, the only thing they care about is trusting you as a person. So 
um, you are the product um, and you're trying to sell yourself to someone who wants to work potentially with a, you know, an agent or an investor. Um, so I, I think the key to learning the business is don't try to figure it out yourself. Um, there's a real estate meetup in my city, like every single day. Um, I've met a ton of people at real estate meetups. Um, it's never been easier to meet someone, you know, online, like LinkedIn. Uh, and the thing with real estate is, is most jobs in real estate that are entrepreneurial have like no overhead for the person that's hiring you. So, you know, if someone sees that you have the willingness to learn and the hustle and you have some sort of why that'll drive you, um, you know, someone's going to take you on and make sure that the person that takes you on is someone who's very credible, has a good reputation and knows what they're doing. Um, so yeah, those are my, my keys. Yeah. Lots of questions there. Um, so even real estate alone, there's obviously so many different types of real estate. You've got residential, you've got commercial. What is the main, it looks like you're multifamily. Is that, is that right? Mainly? Yeah. Uh-huh. And are you doing investing? Like, are you making the majority of your money by flipping these properties or by renting them? I think there's some more nuances that I'd love for people just so to, to hear because it's not, you know, people think of real estate and it's like, there's so many different pillars and ways to do it. I mean, there are people who buy warehouses, farmland, um, which falls underneath sort of the real estate, you know, category. No, it, it's a great question, Anne. So yeah, I'm, I'm very, very niche specific. Um, multifamily is also known as, you know, apartment complexes. So uh, my niche is I sell, you know, private client style, which is like smaller uh, mom and pop, they call it like two to like, you know, 50 unit buildings here in San Diego. Uh, once you get to like 100 units and above, you're dealing with like institutions like Blackstone, BlackRock, uh, all the big firms. So we're kind of in like that, that niche space where it's like, you know, families that own these properties, not big corporations. Um, so it's very, very relationship based, like I was saying earlier. Um, I've never sold a single family home. Um, I've never sold a warehouse. I've sold some like, you know, retail stores, like a Dollar General, but 95% uh, of our business is multifamily. And the reason why I love multifamily is because um, you don't deal with all the emotions that come with residential real estate. Um, my girlfriend is a phenomenal real estate agent, but, um, you know, I see the things that she goes through and there's a lot of emotions involved when a family goes to move into a house, their forever home, quote unquote. Right. Um, I've seen people try to cancel transactions over, you know, like a cracked tile shower and like uh, a little bit of termite damage where like in my transactions, like <laughs> there's like, you know, cracked slabs, foundations that are getting ruined. The roof needs to be replaced just way bigger things. And like the investor doesn't even care because it all comes down to the math equation, right? How the numbers look, if I do all this work, what would the property be worth? Am I making good investment? Whereas in residential, it's like all emotional, like, oh, I need to have, you know, an X amount of bedrooms, a X amount of living space. I need a big backyard. Um, so I like how my space is like really numbers based and um, very investment based. Um, and once you go above, five units for apartments. Most people don't know this. One to four units is considered residential. But once you go above five units for apartment complexes, it's considered commercial. Um, so also the loans are different. So a commercial loan is different than a residential loan, which is a one to four unit loan. And a commercial loan is a five unit and above loan. Um, so that's something that is a differentiator that a lot of people need to know about that I can go into if you want. 
Um, but to answer your other question about like where I make most of my money, um, when I first started, you know, all I was doing was making money with commissions. Uh, but instead of spending that, I saved it. Um, I, I think I saved up like like two million, a little under like two million bucks of commissions in like the first three years. Um, and from that, I kind of saved that nest egg. And then I started going out and buying properties with my partner who was much more smarter than me, much more sophisticated, had a lot more liquidity than me. But I was the one out there like finding the deals. I was the one hustling and I had the knowledge. He had knowledge too, but he had more capital. Uh, we went in 50-50, um, learned a lot from each other. So I think having a great partnership in real estate is also very important. And um, now that's like where I make most of my money. I make money in my business to buy real estate. And uh, I think we've built like a, you know, our company's net worth over the last three years has gone from like zero to like $15 million. So um, commissions could never do that. So that's why I think the wealth is in, you know, saving your money in your business, whatever it is, and buying buying assets. Yeah. I, again, so much I want to talk on there. One, you're right about the emotional I, emotional piece. I just sold my house in the Dominican and I bought my house 18 months ago and I wasn't using it very often, but I was still emotionally attached. And like, I sold it. I like signed the, the LOI and then went down there. I'm like, I can't sell this. Like, it's too beautiful. And like, there was this whole back and forth. My broker had to like come over and talk to me. So uh, the emotional side is really true. And that's, again, a really great point. These are sort of the nuggets that I want people to to learn and understand when they're thinking about, you know, which business to go under and and all the different categories of real estate that there are to learn about. So that's great. Even the point about how it becomes a commercial loan, you know, after five units and what that means. But the education piece, and I think, Jason, you know, a lot of people say they want to do things, but it's the idea of starting at square one or the idea of like, I don't know anything and you just got to get over it. Like there's nobody out there that you respect and admire that's that's at the top of their game or honing in on their craft that didn't have a day one. Like I think about SolidCore, my fitness, one of my fitness companies, and like I can, it wasn't that long ago, it was nine years ago where I opened my first studio. And now we have 89 studios today, but like there's nobody you look at that didn't have uh, property number one, day number one question number one and and had to learn. So like, don't shy away from that. Don't feel stupid. Ask questions. There's plenty of people out there. I mean, even you taking time to be on this podcast to share information with people so that they can learn too. So that's great. Um, and then the second piece, which I want to talk some more on when you talked about saving, I see so many people when they start to make money, when they get, you know, oh, I took this new job and now I'm making $40,000 more. They just continue to spend it. And or or they don't save enough of it and they're just they're continuing. And I love that in your bio as well. And I have the same mindset, the way that the government and society has sort of set us up for success when we're supposed to be 65 and 70 years old and then be financially free. Sounds like a really long time to me. And and also I would much rather be financially free when I'm young and healthy and you know energy and all of those things not that i don't plan to be that when i'm 65 but you get what i'm saying here it's a slow bill that keeps people predictable and keeps the government able to to know what people are doing how much they're making how much they're saving um because that's how economies and society run right during predictability so talk to me a little bit about that of where you learn that and let's 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 dive in a little bit deeper um into you know what to do with your money. Cause you and I have a similar story there. 
um, once I started making money from speaking, you know, you get checks for ten to fifteen thousand dollars, and it's like, oh, that would be really easy to be like, I'm going to go on this trip, I'm going to buy something that costs ten thousand dollars. But if you save that, and now all of a sudden you have a quarter of a million dollars, when I wanted to start Solid Core, I'm like, I didn't have to get any money from anybody, and I could keep all my equity. So where did you learn that? And can you give some people some more, you know, insights, you know, into again saving money and um, just you know, your advice on how to best do that. Yeah. Um, I think I learned it from my, uh, childhood trauma. I think I learned it because I've had so many bad experiences and, um, experienced the fights that my parents went through because of a lack of saving money and a lack of money. So, you know, I, I can't really say there's like a special like book or like someone that taught me how to do it. Um, I just knew I wanted to save as much as I can to invest in myself and to invest in uh, investments so that I could be financially free. Um, so I think, um, for those, for those that, that are not the same as me, I know some people might, you know, have grown up in a very great, um, you know, money environment, whatever it is. Um, it is hard to save for most people because, um, the number one thing that gets you from, uh, not saving money is your ego. Uh, your ego, you know, gets bigger and bigger as your salary or your income or your, business gets bigger, right? So as your ego gets bigger and uh, your ego is your worst enemy, if you don't know, uh, as your ego gets bigger, um, your ego wants to spend more things and your ego wants to look better to other people. That's the whole point of an ego is making yourself look good to others. And when that happens and you ca get caught in that spiral, you buy that new Mercedes, you buy that bigger house, you buy you know expensive clothes, you buy the new Rolex, you buy the new necklace, whatever it is, right? Um, and and all of a sudden you have no savings. So I think the biggest thing is that I learned how to control my ego. A great book is Ego is the Enemy. Um, and I drove a Ford Focus when I had over, you know, a million bucks in my bank account. And I had, I still have no watch. I still wear very normal clothes, $30 shirt. You know, I don't have anything designer. Um, I'm just not materialistic and there's no point in being materialistic because when you really boil things down, no one cares how expensive your car is or how expensive your shirt is uh people care about how good of a person you are so um i think when you start making a lot of money you have to realize that no one cares about your fancy car so save your money and spend it on experience i highly recommend ex like you know travel and stuff like that because um spending money on, ex on experience is amazing but don't spend it on like a rolex or a nice car spend it on a new investment or uh put it back into your business like you did to start your fitness business. So, um, yeah. And why do you think people get caught in that rut? Cause I, I see it with folks who don't have even a ton of money, right? They start to get a little bit more money and it, it is, it is, it is the clothes. It is the watch. It is the car. It is the, you know, something to show people that they have money. Where do you think, um, why do you think we're driven so much in that way? Because more people are driven that way than not. Yeah. Um, you know, I, this is my opinion, but I really think it's because of how media portrays everything, right? Like, for example, when you, when I was a little kid and I was watching YouTube videos, like rap videos, like all those rappers have like the nicest necklaces, you know, the nice cars, um, all that stuff. And even on TV, all you see is like, when you're watching a football game, you see an advertisement for every three minutes you're watching the game, like something new to buy comes on. Like, the world wants you to spend money. The world wants you to like 
you know, the corporate America wants you to, you know, buy their stuff and they're constantly feeding you with it. Even on Instagram, like, or social media, every three posts, it's an ad, right? It's never been easier to spend money. And it's honestly sad because people who aren't financially literate have no idea what's happening to them because, you know, uh, media does brainwash us and cause us to, you know, spend money. It's what we're taught to do. Corporate America, corporate America pays us a set salary, tells us to put away, you know, a little bit into our 401k or IRA. And then the rest, they tell us to basically spend it. That's what they want us to do. It keeps yeah. the economy going. Yeah, it does keep the economy going. And, and there's a great line. My chief of staff says this, but it's just like when you're being targeted with a message, the person telling you that message has a pretty vested interest in you buying into that message. Someone's financially benefiting off of your weakness, off of your vulnerability, off of your insecurity. And, it, you know, it it definitely is. That's why it's impressive to me when you're so when you're so young that you seem to be um, immune to some of that stuff. And it is like it, it is it, it is impressive. We're the same there also from a materialistic standpoint. And I agree about the experiences. I spend money on real estate investments and also experiences with people that maybe couldn't afford, you know, I bring my family to the U.S. Open every year. I I want to go sit courtside at a Lakers game. And that's like a memory and a moment that I get to share with people that, you know, I love and, and I will spend money on that. Um, and I think people figuring out their relationship with money also, Jason, is a really interesting, you know, conversation, like you said, for you your parents watching them fight, you knew that you didn't want finances to be a part of that, you know, relationship, whatever that relationship would look like for you. And I think that that's really, when my friends talk about money, I try to start there with them of, well, what's your relationship like? Do you respect money? You know, what does it mean to you? Why do you want it? Um, what, what good, if you had a million dollars, what would you do with it? And, and, um, starting there for a lot of folks, I think is just really, really telling and you can learn a lot from them. Um, I was going to ask you about the stock market. Are you, what other things do you invest in besides real estate, if anything? Yeah. Um, I have no money in the stock market. I dabbled with stocks when I first, um, started and didn't feel like I wanted to put all my eggs in one basket, but, um, I mean, look, I think the stock market it's for some people and it's a great way to make money. It's a great investment. I'm not saying that, but it just wasn't for me. Um, I like being able to have a little more control of my investment. I like being able to see my investment. I like real assets with stocks. You're kind of just betting on a company and, um, you're not betting on yourself at all. What's cool about real estate is that, um, you can control a lot of your destiny. Sure. Like you can't control the market, but there's a lot of ways to add value to a property. Uh, to where it's worth a lot more money. Like you can add units, you can renovate it, you could add more parking spaces, um, you could add a washer and dryer in the units, more amenities. Uh, this gets you more cash flow, more rents every month. Uh, with a stock, uh, the pros are it's you know completely passive. You don't need to worry about it when you buy it. Uh, that's the one amazing thing about stocks. But um, me being in real estate, me enjoying real estate, I like the idea of you know, buying an eyesore and creating into something amazing and that can force appreciation and create value. Um, and in real estate, you can buy properties for a big discount. On the stock market, you got to just, you know, buy what it's worth. You can't call the CEO of a company and say, hey, I want to buy your stock for 30% below market value. But in real estate, you can call any seller out there and say, hey, 
you know, your property is worth this because there's a lot of issues uh, and you can offer whatever you want and um, it might get accepted or it might not. So that's the cool thing about real estate, in my mm -hmm. opinion, versus stocks. And are most of your properties, Jason, ones that you are fixing up? Is that how you are? If you're buying multifamily unit units, you're fixing them up, renting them out, and then selling the building? Is that mainly the strategy? Yeah. So, um, yeah, the first part, I am always, most of the time, uh, I'd say 90% of the time, we have bought a property that needs a lot of, you know, several hundred thousand dollars worth of work. But um, after we fix it up, re-rent the property and increase the net operating income, uh, then we assess whether we want to keep it, whether we want to do a, a refinance and pull our capital out, or if we want to um, sell it and do a, a 1031 exchange into a bigger property. Um, and we never cash out, so can, we don't want to pay. explain what that is so for people yeah. at 1031? Yeah, of course. So a 1031 exchange um, in layman's terms is if you sell a property, you usually have to pay at least like you know, anywhere between 30 to 40% capital gains taxes on what you profited on the property if you were to cash out. Um, the IRS tax code uh, 1031 um, allows you, an, an investor, to sell a property and buy a like-kind property uh, and you can defer the capital gains taxes. So let's say you sell a property and you profit, you buy a property for a million, you sell for 1.5, um, you can take your equity and your profit and exchange into a like kind asset. So any investment property that you sell, you can buy any kind of investment property. Um, if you sell a multifamily building, you can exchange into an office building, uh, an investment house, if it's like an Airbnb rental, um, multifamily apartment, whatever it is, just has to be an investment property, which is really cool. Um, it's very useful if you want to kind of grow the number of units you own and you want to grow your portfolio fast. I think it's the fastest way to grow your portfolio. Um, two key deadlines you should know about a 1031 exchange is you have 45 days to identify a property once you close the property you're selling, which is also known as your down leg property. And then your up leg property, which is the property you're buying, you have 180 days or call it six months to close on that property after your property sells that you sold. Um, and the key thing about the exchange is the money can never go into your bank account because once it does, it's a taxable event. So you have to work with a 1031 exchange accommodator, also known as a Starker, um, basically which is a company that holds your funds in their secure account. And then once it's time to close the property you're buying, then they wire that money to escrow. So the money never hits your account. It's never a taxable event. And your taxes are fully deferred if you do this correctly. Yeah, and guys, these are all things that are that are in books that are in, you know, I, I don't have them on the top of my, my mind, but learning short-term capital game long-term capital gain, 1031 exchange, what state you live in changes your capital gain. All of these things are really important to, to get educated on and are easy to find out with all the resources um, that are out there. Um, okay, cool. So sorry to interrupt you. I just wanted to make sure people knew what that was. No worries. Okay, so where, and then you were talking about the, the refinancing. So you'll refinance or you'll, um, you'll, you'll keep the property to base, to base on what kind of income it's bracing. Yeah. Um, if it's like a really good location, like for example, we have a property that's like four blocks from the beach here. Um, if it's a really good location like that, um, typically you don't want to sell that asset because it's very hard to replace that. Um, so location matters a lot. Uh, if you're buying in a really, really good location and you love that property, uh, keep it and just, you know, do a refinance, 
uh, pull cash out and let that thing cash flow. Um, that's the other great way to grow your portfolio fast as well. Yeah, awesome. Um, this has been so helpful. I'm, I want to get a little bit to, to mindset and some of these questions that I ask every person that comes on. Um, and you've taught a lot of people about, again, real estate, what to do if you're in the beginning, which again, is just the education part in the beginning. And I love that you don't have to have a lot of a lot of money up front. But reminder, guys, that everybody has to start start somewhere. So the meetup is a really great opportunity to look at in your cities, as well as, you know, again, resources and books that are out there for for anybody, but start asking questions and start learning. Okay, so questions that everybody, I ask everybody, and again, it's, these are all just your opinion, um, but how do you, Jason, define success? Like, what does success mean to you personally? Like, when do you feel successful? Um, Yeah, I, I think this meaning has changed for me over the years um, from start to now. I think I think success is when you truly love what you do and you feel like you're aligned with what you're supposed to be doing in your life. Um, I like to call it like when your passion and your purpose align, that's when you feel the most joy. And I think when you have joy in what you do and you're also like financially free enough to where you don't feel like you have to work every single day, um, I think that's the ultimate freedom. And I think that is a key ingredient of success. But I think success is also giving back to those who are less fortunate than you, who might have not had the chance to um, kind of go on the journey that you could because everyone starts life in a different matter. And um, I think giving back, whether it's through education or through um, you know donations, whatever it is, uh, volunteering has been great for me. I think that is where success comes full circle. Yeah, that's great. And, I, and it does change over the course of, of the years. And I was thinking about that for myself too. And I agree with passion and purpose, but I do think if I'm being honest, for me, it's passion, purpose, and that whatever that those things are also producing some, some sort of level of income that makes me feel financially free. Like, I don't think I would feel successful without those three things. If I was making a lot of money, but hating my life or, you know, loving what I do, but, but not able to support myself financially in the ways that I want. So in my, I think you need all three of those ingredients. Yeah, no, I, I agree for sure. Cool. Um, tell us one, I'm sure there are many, but tell us one formative moment in your life that shaped you to who you are today. Um, yeah, I think the one moment that really changed my life, uh, my trajectory has changed ever since was when I hit rock bottom in the business. I didn't really talk about this much on the podcast, but, um, you know, the first year of real estate is extremely hard. Um, especially if you're getting into, you know, being a real estate, a commercial real estate broker or an agent. Um, the first six months I made no money, no commissions, no salary. Um, I was supporting myself by doing a little bit of like social media marketing for like three companies here and there, making like 2000 a month. So I was living off like no income. And, um, most of my time was spent every single day, you know, calling owners around San Diego, trying to make that first sale, that first relationship. So basically after six months, I finally get that first listing to sell a property. And the day after we signed the listing, the owner unexpectedly passes away and um, the property ends up going to probate because there was no will or a trust for their kids. And when a property goes to probate, it basically means the state or the government now controls your property and it takes anywhere from one to two years to get the property back into the family's hands, usually with a good attorney. 
Um, when that happened, I probably hit like one of the lowest points in my life. Um, when I heard those news, you know, I got in my car, started bawling, uh, said I was going to quit next morning. Uh, but for some reason, when I woke up, like I just had some thought in my mind that like I was so close to like achieving the goal that I wanted. And, um, you know, after that point, I, I stuck around and my trajectory has changed forever. I mean, you know, three or four deals closed like two or three months after that. And um, I kind of went on a really big hot streak. So if I were to quit there, a great thing to learn for your audience is that when you quit, you might have been so close to like achieving such big things in life, but mentally you might not be able to handle it. But when you think about it, if you just keep going and you see failures as not a failure, but as a learning lesson, it just changes your mindset and allows you to achieve whatever you want. Because when you think of failure as a lesson, uh, your mindset really changes instead of thinking that when I fail, it's time to quit. Yeah, I, lo I love that. And any successful person you're going to meet also has had their moments and plenty of that where they've had to endure and and practice resilience um, and come off the other end. But like that's that's what that's there's there's nobody who's gotten to where they are without figuring out how to be resilient. Awesome. Okay, what do, these questions are random, so they don't have they don't have any bad. But what what do you think causes people to change? Um, that is a great question, actually. I think it's it's got to be different for everyone, but I think the number one you know indicator, in my opinion, that causes change in someone's life is they're either really unhappy where they are currently, or um, they just want something different they want like a something like a they want to spend their time differently i think i've seen those two things just from personal experience change a lot of people's lives but i think when you're unhappy or you're unhappy with how you spend your day or how your life is going um i think that's when you start to like you know google things you start to read books you start to see what else is out there what other possibilities are there to make my life better um, I think when you're struggling, you know, financially, that's a big reason to want some sort of change in your life. And, um, yeah, I think there's gotta be some sort of pain or some sort of big motivator in order for you to actually like look for something different in my opinion. Yeah. Everybody's had this, this, the same answer and, and I have to agree. It's, it is the pain, right? You get to the point where you're so frustrated and unhappy that you almost feel like I, I have no, I can't continue to live like this. Um, it's just, it's interesting where it goes back to most people only do something also when there's a crisis, right? We change our health when we go in and learn that, Hey, you have heart disease. Hey, you know, you're, you're pre-diabetic if you don't change your diet or start exercising. And then that scares the shit out of folks and they start to start to do something. Um, so yeah, I think it's fascinating the way the human brain is wired that way, that the motivation has to come from a, an immense emotion, fear, pain, even even joy on some level, um, but there has to be you know on on either end of it. So um, great. And then two more. What is the one thing people can do today, Jason, to start living a more optimized life? Yeah, I think the first thing um, you know, if you're listening, if you're listening to podcasts like this, you're on the right path, in my opinion. Um, but I think the most important thing is to um, change your knowledge. So basically learn more about something you want to do because once you gain knowledge, uh, you start to change your beliefs. And once you start to change your beliefs, you start to change your actions. 
and your actions are what changes your life trajectory. That's what really, you know, changes your path. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think implementing the knowledge you learn is the most important thing because a lot of people will just learn, learn, learn and never do, do, do. They'll just keep walking, talking and never actually, you know, you know, running towards their goals. So I think that's the most important thing um, that I see from successful people and not successful people. Yeah. So knowledge, knowledge, you have the knowledge, it'll change your beliefs, your beliefs will change your actions. Great advice. And last one is tell me one or two non-negotiables in your life that have contributed to your success and happiness. Yeah. I think my non-negotiables would be, um, how I take care of my relationships, my family and friends, and also how I start my, um, how I start my day. I think if I start my day, um, you know, hitting the snooze button and going straight to work, uh, that day sucked. Uh, it was not a good day. Um, I think if it's a day where, you know, I go to the gym, uh, I jump into the cold plunge, no matter how much I hate doing that. Um, I meditate for at least 15 minutes and I write in my gratitude journal before going to work. I think that really sets the tone for a great day. And once you do that over and over again, it really does compound um, in your personal and business life. So I think um, having a good morning routine, which I didn't have for a long, long time, probably my whole life, really changed things for me. Yeah, and you know what, Jason? It's, it's, it's no matter who I talk to, I feel like these answers are just similar across the board. It's, it's working out, it's getting enough sleep, it's putting food in your body that's fueling you in the right way, right? It's it's doing the hard things when you don't want to do them. It's the journaling, the meditating. So if anybody out there is stuck, guys, this list is the same. It's the same no matter what high performance, successful, happy person I talk to. So it's like, start there. Don't try to figure out and ask yourself sort of where to start. Uh, it's just making sure your, your brain and your body and your mind and your spirit is set up to be optimized and making the right healthy decisions in those categories. Yeah. Well said. Well, thanks so much, Jason, for, for coming again. I really appreciate your time today and, and I'm sure the listeners do as well, um, on you educating a little bit of how you took a different path. Um, and it also, you also made it digestible in, in a way that, that people can do this. Um, you just have to start and you just need to educate yourself. So where can, if people are interested in, in connecting with you or learning more about you, where can they find you? Yeah, the easiest way to connect with me is probably on Instagram or YouTube. I'd say it, my, my handle is my full name, uh, Jason Joseph Lee. I'm a pretty popular first and last name. So how to put the yeah. name in there. <laughs> but yeah, thank you so much for that. Hey, everyone, if you are loving these how-to podcasts, I would greatly appreciate you to follow, rate, and review. It helps us get these podcasts out to more people who are looking for these actionable items on how to make real progress in their life. Thank you so much. You know I appreciate you.